Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out what color is your rainbow. Persimmon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that? Thanks for the sour persimmons, cousin. What? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. We are talking this week again about the new magic system, and we're getting close to the end. Uh, which, of course, I hope your listeners are, are enjoying this. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on. Can magic be blocked or grounded? Now, we already talked about hiding it. Okay, so we're not talking about that. We're saying is, is that how do you stop magic? How you know someone's casting magic at you? Someone's cursed you with magic, or you know some ancient you know fi- huge fireballs coming at you? Can we stop it? And how do we do it? Yep. Yeah. Of course, we have to go with the, the the standard one, cold iron, which is a hard definition to come up with because we've talked about this before. What is cold iron? Is it is it cold forged iron you know you get ore and you beat it until you beat all the slag out of it and then you beat it until it forms something you you want to use or is wrought iron cold iron it's steel cold iron steel is not cold iron is is my what i would say i would say that that cold iron has to be essentially pure unadulterated iron yeah and does meteoric iron have special properties that cold iron doesn't have you know, it could be an isotope of iron. Yeah, I mean, that's something I did. I, I ran an adventure for the uh, for the Sunday Scrapers, and I, it's one of the adventures that was published for Bureau Thirteen. And I had and I had something. I had I had a fairy encased in a metal box that was made from meteoric iron, and it wasn't forged. They literally took sledgehammers to the to the to the to the meteorite and beat it into a shape of a box. So that it basically and it basically just hid all magic. Basically, if you had if you got your cooling detector out, nothing came out of that box. It was made out of solid meteoric iron. So it was special sky iron, which had special properties. Sky steel, <laughs> yeah. Sky metals, yeah. Yeah, which, yeah of course, well, you know anything about metal, they got the sky metals now in the uh, Pathfinder tech guide. There's like. Mm-hmm. Seven of them, and Orch Halcom is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Of course, if you know anything about meteorites, it's nickel iron, so it's oh yeah, 
special blend of cold iron. But yeah, but I would, I would agree with you there, Bruce, that yeah, it has to be more – wrought iron would then count because it doesn't have any carbon in it or any, any, any other alloys. In, it, it's fairly pure, which is why it's so weak. It's weak. It can be brittle. You know, which is, but at the same time, it has these special qualities. So, you know, the idea is, is that you go and have a wrought iron fence all the way around your property and the undead or the fae or other critters like that. Spirits can't pass. You, uh, you can see through the, the, the spikes that make up the wrought iron fence, but spirits can't pass through onto your property because you know, it, it forms a barrier that they cannot understand and therefore cannot surmount. Okay, yeah. I got the um, from the Pathfinder SRD page how they define cold iron. This iron mined deep underground and known for its effectiveness against demons and fey creatures is forged at a lower temperature to preserve its delicate properties. Uh, let's see. Yeah, all the rest is cost and magical, you know, price-based stuff. But yeah, basically, it's just forged at a lower temperature. Right. It's never purely, completely liquefied. You just basically get it hot and you beat it. Yeah, it's made malleable. Yes. Yeah, it basically, instead of, instead of putting it into a forge and getting all the, all the impurities out, you get just hot enough so you can beat it enough to get the impurities out instead. Which is way a lot, they did a lot of iron back in the day. You know, if you get fairly strong, pure iron ore, it's, it's 90% iron and 10% other materials. And, you know, you can, if you get hot enough, it won't melt, but you can beat the other materials out of it, you know, form a slag on it, and you just keep doing that over and over again until it's basically it's it's more fairly pure hmm. and some of those swords damascus steel comes in the mind because it was folded it was folded many times uh wasn't also japanese katanas weren't they done the folded method but I, I would say that both of them had considerable amount of uh, carbon in them of carbon Yes. Yeah, the process of, of putting them on the, uh, basically you put them on top of the coals of uh, wherever you're cooking, we're burning your charcoal or wood, usually charcoal in these things. Yeah, that charcoal is going to get in that iron <laughs> at that point and turn to steel. Yeah, well, charcoal is isn't really enough to to do a good job. I mean, as you say, it'll heat it up enough to make it make you able to bend it, but it won't melt it. So if you're trying to actually smelt stuff, you actually have to go with something like coal. And and and, and you know, I and I tend to actually have large quantities of iron work. Even if it's you know, an engine block will seal a fairy ring real good, even though it's mostly steel. The aluminum blocks, forget them; they don't work. You have to use a good old-fashioned Detroit diesel iron block, and just toss yeah. it in the middle. Yep. Toss in the middle of that fairy ring, it closes it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I just hear you, you. You just make it sound so casually. I just take an engine block and toss it into the middle of the ferry ring. Meanwhile, you show, shows shows this guy giving himself a hernia, staggering from the say. Please tell me somebody drove here in a VW. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, we're talking Detroit. Detroit Diesel. Are we talking a Mac? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, maybe. Um, how about a uh, how about a motorcycle? Yeah, because John, remember, remember what I do for a living. I've oh, moved yeah. engines around 
No, there are, and there's a reason why engine carts were invented. There's a reason why they make engine winches. You just yeah. don't throw the engine into the ferry rig. No, no, no. No, no. You, I, that, I, I, you have a yeah. lot less things to worry about if you can throw a car engine. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, it's it's sort of being you know being colloquial. Basically, you know, you 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 get some sort of system to get into the ring and draw and drive it. You actually don't want to go in the ring yourself because oh, you know. But if you get it in there and drop it, there it is. And that's why I say when you come to Seattle, you see all these on one on top of Capitol Hill, no, um, uh, Magnolia Hill, you see these three tall radio towers made all steel. Guess where they're sitting on top of? One of the biggest ferry rings in Seattle. All right, but we're 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 not uh, talking about the the. the yeah, the important thing here, which is, okay, you know, we, we've heard the stories about cold iron. Why does it work? Why does it work against fey magic or any kind of magic? You know, what is it, what does, it, what is it that it does that allow, that, that makes this, this work? I think no, it I'm, might be some aspect of, well, because the, the description I just read against demons and fey creatures, some connection to the earth, perhaps. That the that fade just don't like it, or maybe because it's linked to the earth, magic it it um, grounds it. I think would be the term. Well, don't forget about things like lodestones and th- I would say because it's because it, iron can't be made magnetic. It's sort of how can I best put it? It's a magic sink, but it's a one way sink. It goes in, it doesn't come back out again. So it's. I would say I, I would treat magic iron as, well, the same way I would treat iron inside a star. And once you start making iron in a star, bye bye star. You know, once you, you get magic, you get get cold iron near magic, it starts sucking the magic in, and it's it because it's just a sink. It you know it's it's incredibly stable, and it's able to take magic and kill stars and whatever. Yeah, it's pretty potent stuff in, in that aspect. Well, it sounds like it's it has a strong affil- affiliate. Uh, I'm sorry, affinity for magic. That that if magic comes into contact with it, it just sucks it up. It's like you know, almost like it likes it. You know, give it to me. Yeah, like I said, but once it goes in, it never comes back out. It's the Roche Motel. Well, I, I hear. Yeah, we heard that. But I'm just saying, is that so? You what you're saying is is that see, some people would say that that iron because it's from the, under the deep under the ground, it's separated from the living world, and therefore all you know. And most people try to say that magic is in you know linked to the life itself in some way. Okay, and therefore, you know, something like cold iron that's been unaltered, it hasn't been touched by fire or other, you know, in, in a in a, a strong way, it's it's dark and cold and deep and therefore it's the complete opposite of magic and that's why it can negate. Um I don't I don't know why you know um, undead wouldn't like it uh, <laughs> because they're kind of Cold and dark and in the ground too. No, oh, but the, typically undead would be linked with, unless of course you have a ma- mage doing, but linked with more of a, 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 a ma- holy or uh, religious religious based yeah. manipulation. The whole positive it, negative energy. <clears throat> thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So, so we have the uh, uh, so so there's the idea that that cold iron is 
anathema to magic because it is it is from you know deep away from the surface. Okay, then there is the second idea which you presented, John, which is is that because iron can be magnetized, it therefore can create a flow, a one-way flow of, um, of energy so that magic, when it comes into contact with it, gets sucked into it and never released. So it acts as a drain, as you put it, a sink for the magic. And there could be a side effect of that I mean, later on, but you know, how do you know it's a magic sword? It's made of bronze. <laughs> You can't make magic swords out of metal, out of steel, or iron. Oh dear God, that that would be an interesting. You know, actually, I did that. My did that in my original D and D game. I said, yeah, you can tell it's magic because it's made out of bronze or it's made out of tin. It's not made out of steel or iron because you can't magic steel or iron. It's sort of like you know trying to trying to trying to trying to pour you know you know pour pour sand in the desert and make it bigger. It doesn't work. <laughs> You know, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, but that you know that that's a side effect. Though. It means yes, you can tell you have magic sword because it's made of bronze and it cuts through steel like it's out of butter. <laughs> and you know, because if you take the if you take the iron and steel thing, you know, because the first swords that were you know were the first that's the bronze swords were iron swords. Yes, they were brittle, but guess what? They cut through bronze swords really well, and they cut through arms really well. Yeah, that too. Well, so the bronze, so the bronze swords. It's just that the bronze swords you had to then you had to do a lot more maintenance on afterwards. Yeah, bronze nicked and hit <clears throat> easily. That's why they ended yeah. up evolving to iron because iron was a little tougher. Yeah. Okay, so then we have our second option, which is they provide an electrical connection, and this and this actually, in my mind, uh, John goes into what you were complaining about when you were talking about how that. In, in, as far as you were concerned, that there wasn't a special, um, a special energy that was magical energy, that it was actually still all electromagnetic energy, and that anything that would stop electromagnetic energy would also stop magic or stop psionics. Yeah, yeah, Faraday cage would certainly work in those situations. That yeah, you know. but so John, but, you're saying that magical energy would be just an undiscovered or unquantified part of the EM spectrum. Or it's just a, it's just a, it has that aspect to it. Just like you have, um, x-rays are not the same thing as, um, you know, as, as heat, heat energy, but yet they're still with the electromagnetic. Yeah. As you said, Trav, just an undiscovered aspect of it, but you do quantum, you do quantum magic instead of quantum physics. <laughs> But see, we also have energy and sound, and sound is not the same thing as electromagnetism. So, you know, there's, but, you know, but the idea, let's say, we're talking about electromagnetic here. So, for example, is if magic does have this electromagnetic component to it, then anything that sends it to a natural ground, which is the ground, okay, would be able to protect you. Uh, from magic and even drain magic off. So you've got the person who's been possessed by an evil demon. You wrap, you know, chains around them, and the chains fall to the to the ground next to the bed, assuming that they're you know in an older house where they don't have a floor. It's just dirt. And then slowly over time, you know, they get better. 
well, it says, well, the, the evil was drained out of them because, you know, they we, we were able to conduct it down into the ground where, as you said, John, it never returns. Unfortunately, I would consider a demon possession to be something that isn't magical. It's more spiritual, but yeah. Well, let's just say it is, John. Okay, and it's I was really just referring to a magical effect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone's been hit with a magical spell that compelled them to keep slapping themselves in the face. Yeah, you... Right. A compel of some kind, yes, or something that wrecks, wreaks havoc in their mind and you know wrecks their soul. Now, I would say the, the old traditional uh, fireball from D and D, as long as you don't actually hit the person wearing the wearing the grounded Faraday cage armor, he still gets affected by it because because it's it's you know it set the air on fire and that's what's going to burn you, not the magical energy. So as long as you don't get directly hit by the fireball. Uh, it, but you're in this blast radius. You're going to be affected by it. So you're not. You you are affected by secondary effects, is what you're saying. Okay. You know. But anyways, I saw this being used very very cleverly. You know, in um, uh, in the novel uh, by Tim Powers called Anubis Gates. And at one point, uh, our, our main character gets sent back in time, uh, and he's he, he takes part in this this hunt. And um, and battle with a, an evil wizard, and they all had tied silver chains around their ankles and taken down inside their boots, drilled a hole in the heel of their boots so that the chains would drag on the ground behind their feet, grounding them so that when the mage was to cast evil spells at them and such, they would be unaffected. Yeah, that's magical. Using the the mystical properties of, of silver for dr- grounding them. That- no, no, this had nothing to do with the silver. It was just because silver was a good electrical conductor or a conductor of magic in this particular case. But yes. Um, now, the, the interesting thing in that story, by the way, was that at some point uh, they, uh, the battle uh, went, over, went on to the Tams. And all of a sudden they discovered that they were no longer protected because they were on water. And it wasn't conducting the electricity through the ice as well as through the ground. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, frozen war, yeah. If it was salt water, I'd say, yeah, hey, go for it. It's even more conductive. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's not, you know, now everyone knows this, that water actually does conduct because it has ions in it. It's got you know, all kinds of things like that. But, you know, in most of these stories, you know, water is considered an insulator, especially ice. And therefore, that's, you know, they, they ran into, they, they have, most of them got killed off, which is why you don't have roving bands of, uh, of, of, of mage killers uh, still in existence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to think of doing this with uh, not being so scientific, but saying, yeah, let's go back to that cold iron. Yeah, you drive a cold iron, cold iron into a stake into the ground. And then you use a, and then you use iron chain. Yeah, that's gonna be pretty effective draining magic out of somebody. You do that with a steel rod and a in a steel chain. Nope. You do that with a silver rod and a silver chain. Maybe. Well, but it, you know, what I'm saying is that you could say that it just it it just requires electrical connection. So you could do it with copper. Okay, you could do it with anything that provides a good conductor. 
it may it may depend on the magic. I could also see you know driving an oak, driving a um, oak stake in the ground and taking some vines and driving around a person doing the exact same thing, because it's it's it could be more like it could be more along the line of it depends on what kind of magic we're talking about. Are we talking you know nature magic? Are we dealing with a druid? I, I have to use nature stuff against him. You know, I can't just you know use iron because he doesn't know iron from a, from a hole in the ground. <laughs> You know, I think it really depends on it depends on how you how you say magic works. Well, yes, that's that is all what it comes down to, John. But the point is, is that we're giving different options for things that might act as a protection because, you know, I mean, in, in any game, you know, that has magic in it, there's going to be the uh, unless everybody casts magic, there's going to be the people with magic and the people without magic. OK, and your most. Uh, and the ones that are the most suffer the most, I should say, are generally your fighters because they're standing up front. And, and and if if you know someone casts magic at them and they're wearing armor and therefore grounded to the ground, it'd be nice if they had some protection. Now, of course, if they're casting a spell that specifically targets the the elect, you know the conductive qualities of the metal, like like electrical shock or heating or something like that, then we can see where that wouldn't work. But it'd be nice if they had something that would give them some general purpose protection against. You know, magic. And, and we see this again in a lot of stories and movies where the guy wearing all the armor, even though he's not a mage, he seems to be able to, you know, uh, avoid a lot of the magical effects unless they are, you know, zeroed in, you know, target on that particular person. And then they get fried. But most of the time, they seem to be able to, you know, rebuff. These kinds of things, and that would make sense if, if the uh, by wearing a, a conductive armor, they were able to be able to uh, resist, or the magic would course around them and not actually touch their inner core themselves, their flesh. Yeah, and the the thing is, I'm thinking though, because so, because I'm the kind of person who would do this. I go, okay, so it basically depends on how good the conductor is and how much energy is being released. So I decided to do a quick search and said, how many joules in a D&D fireball? It, it gets to about 1,444 degrees Celsius. And I'm looking, okay, and how big? Yes. Because <laughs> you can melt gold. And that's how hot you have to get to melt gold. Nope. Nope. It, nope, basically, nope, a fireball nope, has a nope. yield of 0.235 kilotons. It's a quarter kiloton uh, nuclear bomb. Oh, I don't buy that. No, because a it has no explosive force. We've all. Oh no, we're talking. We're talking the energy yield, though. We're talking energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying. Um, I can I can buy the whole idea that you know it gets up to a thousand degrees because I mean paper. You know, uh, Fahrenheit four four sixty one, isn't it? 451, yeah. I mean, that you know, paper's easy to catch on fire. So, you know, it, it, uh, 500 degrees is bad for us, but for most objects, it just makes them smolder and, and get hot and maybe, maybe wear out faster. It takes, you know, I mean, if you're trying to melt, um, like, glass, that's around 1,300 to 1,500 degrees. So, you know, yeah, it's 1,000 sounds like a lot because we can't live in it. But you know, a, a human being can touch something that's that hot, and you know, and pick it up for a second and throw it, 
and and you know without suffering major damage to themselves. But you see what I'm getting at, though, because someone would go, well, how much energy is being used, and can can my conductor handle it? You know, it may be that yeah, you take half damage from that from that from that lightning bolt, but you lose your protection because your your grounding your grounding cord burnt off in the process. You know, so it, it, one of those things. You know, it's it, it, you know, it, and and there's other things I can think of that you have to, trying to figure out how many how much energy is being expelled. I mean, mental control spells. How much energy is being is being expelled? Uh, maybe about half a tenth, one thousandth of a watt. Wow, I can put tinfoil on my head and block the sucker. You know. <laughs> well, we don't know that because psychic powers, you know, are obvi- obviously they do a lot more work than that. If I'm picking like a, a car up and swinging it around with my mind, I'm definitely using more than a watt. Yeah, but telepathy really doesn't have to operate. And really, you you basically don't want a thousand watt you know antenna inside your head uh, when you when you broadcast. So it's going to operate on lower levels at that point. Unless, of course, you're trying to reach somebody like 500 miles away. Yeah, well, that's where you get amplifiers in. On the range. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I can see people gaming this, going, "Well, yeah, we're we're all wearing we're all wearing Faraday cages," and I would go, "So, well, how how what's what's the gap on your on your mesh? Because Faraday cages work against certain frequencies." You know, if I have a mage who knows what he's doing, he'll go for the frequency that goes through your mesh. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> if it's just a solid metal, you know, armor that still has a frequency. That still has a frequency too, and and yeah, I'm going physics. Physics alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't go too hard, okay? I'm just saying is it, but what it comes down to is how conductive, magically conductive. Uh, is you know this unless you're talking about the secondary effects of the spell, how magically conductive is is um, the item that you're wearing? Okay, and that's where magic items are, could be helpful. Magic itself could act as a conductor, and you could use that to enhance something that normally wouldn't be that protective. But then there's other things that, by their very nature, would be very very protective, either because they're an insulator. Okay, or because they are highly conductive. So we're just saying is that if this is one one idea. Okay, so instead of spending all the time trying to nerf it, John. No, 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 I'm not, not, not trying to nerf it. I'm just uh, you. I, I play with people. I play with at least two other people who would sit down and figure out. Okay, so it's conduct conduction. So I'll just take it up into the infrared range, and it doesn't conduct nothing. I'll just heat you up. But yeah, it's same difference. It, it's people gaming the system. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, but uh, if you're going to ask me, I would say I would only allow that to happen if you could do it magically. If you could somehow magically create a, a connection to Mother Earth, then you could probably, you know, drain things. Otherwise, you're wearing a lot of iron and you just make yourself a good target for the guy with the lightning bolts. So, Trav, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I uh, <laughs> Unless you have some type of magically conductive metal... That would be campaign specific. I don't know. I'm not this this whole point. I'm just kind of uh, about. I guess, I guess that'd be the best way I can describe it. Unless you have a specific type of material that absorbs magical energy in and of itself, not electricity, not fire, but a magical lightning rod. 
I'm not, I, I just, I looked at that and I had a lot of trouble trying to understand a, a meaning for it when I looked at that one. If magic is basically an altered form of electromagnetism, then something that ha- provides an electrical connection to the ground could provide a way of either draining it, blocking it, or um, providing some kind of protection. I would say then it would have to be some type of metal specifically able to conduct that as of current unknown form of the EM spectrum. Okay, so moving on. So now we have holy items. Okay. Sanctified grounds, sanctified shield, sanctified you know, dagger that can penetrate through the magical shields of the wizard, you know, or demon or whatever else. How how does this sound? Does this sound good? Yeah, but if if our magic system was entirely of a divine nature, i.e. you're dealing in a game like, you know, you're, you're a secret cabal of the Vatican, you know, agents that, you know, fight demons and possession... Yeah, then I would think that holy items would be good to block well, profane magic, let's say. Okay, like so demonic energies and you know. black arts, necromancers. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I, I, I see a case made that necromancers are probably some of the nicest people I ever meet because they they make they, they they bring their friends back. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're really yeah. good at raising families. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's not hard to raise them. They're often buried together. Yeah. <laughs> says the daughter of a woman. Says the daughter of a woman who played a necromancer in one of my games. Yeah. I was not the one that played the necromancer. Well, I I think this is where we kind of come into that what John was talking about the secondary effects. If, for example, you know, this was a magic item um, that was provided by um, Poseidon, you know. Uh, god of the seas, god of water, okay? Well, it might be very effective against any kind of a fire-based attack. Yeah. Or, or and conversely, a shield by Hephaestus would be good Would be good against cold attacks. He was the, the, the... Because that's the same as Vulcan, who has a forge. Yeah. Yeah, and these things, yeah, and those things, and but they are... I would say, but they work through divine magic, which is always different than secular mundane magic, if you can use that term, because it's being powered by the gods themselves. Well, but still, the point is that you have a holy item, okay, that in, that imbues been imbued with some aspect uh, of the god who gave it to you, who created it, then it should be proof against certain types of things. You know, I mean, it could be very purpose-built. I built you this shield because it is completely impervious to the gaze, you know, of the Gorgon. Okay, well then it, done. Okay, you know, it doesn't matter which god gives you that. It's going to work for that purpose. As a secondary effect, uh, then again, we keep falling into the genre mode. I don't want to do that. You keep saying that, John. I don't see that at all. Well, if we're dealing with the Greek gods and so forth... Um, actually, no, 
in th- that case, those items are all very specific to what they do, and they don't basically give you any extra protection. Yes, they're all holy items. Just using that as an example. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, but then if you look in, and now let's go over to when you said about the Vatican, that actually might work because there's a lot of you know, uh, uh, injunctions against witches and stuff like that. So there's quite possible that, yes, uh, that hair shirt made made from John the Baptist's hair might actually, you know, work, you know, in oh. protecting you <laughs> and from from magic or doing certain holy things. And holy water will, if you, you know, if you put... If you put uh, uh, marks of the cross along your windowsill at night, uh, uh, certain certain uh, spells can't get in to your room through the at least through the windows, and things like that. You know, um, or putting ho- holy water uh, ra- around your campsite will give you some protection until it dries up. And the uh, the idea with the vampires, we had we captured a vampire, and the benefactor basically had the a pinky bone from St. John the Baptist. And oh. this vampire was just in this like locked tube and just screaming because it was considered a holy artifact and it was just radiating holy energy down on it. So what I was going for was um, uh, in the case of like, you know, people are always saying, well, why is it that vampires don't like to see their reflection okay or um or you you can't a vampire will not reflect in a mirror um and there's been a lot of reasons why they say that uh, one of them is is that the, you know, the original mirrors had silver backing silver being a metal that was you know blessed and usually used in crosses and things like that so it was considered to be noble and possibly holy and therefore Vampires being the uh, you know the the converse of holy, looking into a mirror, their reflection would not appear. There was another point of view, which was is that va- uh, that the vampires are undead, decaying monsters, and they create a glamour about themselves that makes them look d- suave and and not you know, um, decaying corpses. And so when they look in a mirror, which, you know, basically uh, is a holy object, it will reflect back to them their true self, and they can't stand to see that they're actually just, you know, a decaying mass of worms. And so that's why they repel away from the, you know, that, uh, away from their their uh, reflection. So there, there's there's some, some ideas along that way. So a, a holy item can... Um, you know what? Uh, it, it can be immune by being immune to uh, or disrupting a magical effect. Uh, it actually can reveal um, truth. It could also protect people from uh, that magical effect harming them. Uh, but it yeah, and it depends on why. As we we talked about the. Uh, the Greek, then we were saying, well, it's the nature of the God, okay? Or we could just simply be generic and say, it's holy. It's the opposite of demonic. It's the opposite of, you know, uh, and, and that's and that works really well in Supernatural because they have things that are just literally the opposite. You know, salt. Demons can't cross salt. I don't know why. They can't. It's great. Oh, because salt preserves and demons are not preserved? No, they're decaying. It's one of those things, you know, de- you know, salt 
helps you purify things. It helps you level preserve meat so, so you can still so it's yeah. still good. Um, yeah. What was that, Josie? The the salt pres- preserving it keeps it pure and whatnot, and demons are more. Okay, so that is why. Okay, I always wondered about that when it's when, at uh, least a good theory. I yeah. don't know exactly why. It, Mm-hmm. It makes sense, considering the, de- especially with the demons always trying to corrupt things yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, and it, and it got partially because salt was so expensive to get for the longest time. I mean, you know, I mean, it, unless you live by an ocean, right? Yeah, yeah. But even then, you still have to put, make big, big, you know, big drying areas to get the salt, and you have to get out of the sand and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard. All right. Anyways, um, so uh, but, but it just seems to me that for what we're saying here is is that a holy item actually is more of an abjuration item. It's just it's uh, it, it's basically uh, as you uh, uh, as you said, Travis, negating uh, some magical effect, or it's preventing that magical effect from touching the thing that it's protecting. But I also would make sure that you don't have nerfing magic either. You know, I have a cross. It's a holy item. Uh, no, it's not going to stop the spell from happening. Sorry. You need something better than just a generic, you know, Walmart cross. You need something, you well, know. Well, that's a lot of times where they say yeah. preventing vampires, just holding up a cross doesn't work. You have to have the faith behind the mm. cross. If you're yeah. an atheist and you hold a cross to a vampire, you're about to become lunch. Well, then you're saying then that that's not actually a holy item. Yes. You don't believe in it, basically. Yeah, that, that your belief makes it holy is what you're saying. I'm saying usually I've seen that convention with mm-hmm. the whole cross and vampires thing. But, but if there is an object that we, like you just talked about, the, uh, the, the finger bone of John the Baptist, if, you know, if such a thing is a holy item, then it doesn't matter whether the person believes or not, it's still going to have an effect if it's, the, you know, if it's anathema to the critter involved. Well, it's yeah. like I brought up in a previous session on this about magical artifacts. I mean, uh, the, the PDF Blood and Relics by RPG Objects. Um, you had relics like the shards of Excalibur, the shards of the Holy Cross, um, the spearhead of Longinius. All of these things had holy or profane power on them, and they would confer bonuses on you, either a holy bonus or a profane bonus, if you were in possession of them. Yeah. I, I can think of a few things, such as from King Solomon, because uh, he you know, he was involved in you know in according to some some um, uh, apocrypha and with demon summoning, so he may actually have some some items that are very holy, and they're very good against black magic, you know magic used for evil purposes. Because I I, I always want to say no just because you're racing because you're I mean of course is being you're evil. What are you using it for? It's intent versus the type of magic. Magic is all gray. It's what you use it for that makes it black. So you're saying, yeah, so his thing is like, magic is like a hammer. Yeah. 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 You, can, it's you can use it. It's how you use it. Well, yeah, see, I, <laughs> I still tend to codify it. Well, again, it's setting dependent. In some settings, I have magic as a tool. 
In mm-hmm. other settings, I have no magic. There is white magic, black magic, and like in Bureau 13, they had gray magic where it was kind of, uh, there was no yeah. set purpose for it. Well, it, it was magic that was designed to affect the world in general. Yeah. And, and, and to bring up other things, you can have places that are inherently magic ain't gonna work there. You, you go to the you go to, you go to the bag and li- unless you're a, unless you're a Kabbalist or a high level demon summoner, forget it. You're not casting magic in the Vatican. Forget it. it's not gonna work. Well, you can cast <laughs> magic in the Vatican, but I would think white magic would be ridiculously no, no. empowered. Hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of, of the of the uh, well things like that. Like if you go to a, a shrine of Ganesh, Ganesha, if, if you're Hindu, uh, forget it, if you're black, if you're doing black magic, or you're just plain old evil. You really can't go there. You know, it will repel. Well, yeah, I would I would see it as <sighs> like with holy items and holy spaces and whatnot. If you're sitting there and you're in the Vatican and you cast a healing spell. Oh no, you are not only healed of that wound, but your teeth are now white, your hair is perfectly <laughs> combed. No, you get your healing spells and spells that deal with life and whatnot. They get cranked to 11. And yeah, then have extend, empower all of these various meta magics hit because you're in the Vatican. This little four square mile city is an epicenter of white magic. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. I would say I would say pretty much the entire Vatican City is sanctified. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that would boost that magic. Oh no, if you're a Kabbalist or a Karsist, your spells would not only be impeded, they would probably backfire on you. Now remember Kabbalists are not necessarily evil. Oh they're just, uh, they're just Jewish. Like like Jewish Kabbalah. I'm thinking not <laughs> not Kabbalah like K-A-B-A-L-L-A-H. No, uh. I'm talking C-A-B-A-L. Oh, okay, that kind of cabal. Okay, yeah. yeah. Though I can imagine that you're you're gonna heal somebody and this this little old man in, in dressed in white with a little white skull cat speaking Portuguese says, "Oh, pardon," and just goes taps with his finger and the person's healed, walks away. You know. <laughs> well, no, that's what I mean. Spells of a healing and beneficial nature in holy sites, and I wouldn't just call the Vatican. As I said, if it were an Indian god like Ganesh or um. Mm-hmm. Vishnu, yeah. Now, if you're on a site devoted to Kali, and you try casting ah. magic there, no. Okay, here's something about Kali, because I'm playing a game right now where we're playing Hindu mythos. There's Kala and Kali. Basically, Kala was was Kali before Kali became good. <laughs> I wasn't aware that Kali was good. I was aware that Kali, Kali, Kali is a good god. Kala is a demon. See, I always heard Kali was the goddess of death. Oh, she was initially, and but, but that doesn't what, mean she's evil. Yeah, it doesn't mean she's evil. You know, despite despite the upcoming movie in uh, Ragnarok, hell in in Norse mythos is is basically what I would say is a very at the worst lawful neutral. Well, there's a god of death as far as death yeah. being natural part of the universe, and yeah. there is the god of willful death. I want things to die. Why yeah. I said so. Mars versus Mars versus Pluto. Yeah, um, Mars is the god of war and death, and Pluto is simply the guy saying, "Yeah, come over here, silver there. We'll get to you eventually." <laughs> oh, you really messed 
stuff. Here, yeah, Mars or Pluto's. Yeah. Yeah, Pluto's going, oh, you really were a bad person. Here are the keys to the executive washroom. It's down the hall. Yeah. yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait, you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.